Well, look, as you can see from the um, slide up there, we're going to carry on with our greater story preaching. And uh, just a quick reminder of what that's all about. So what we are looking to do is we are working our way through the scriptures and we are looking at individual characters and we're just seeing what we can learn from some of these really important core characters that appear all the way through the scripture. But also what we're trying to do is we are trying to draw out some of the larger themes, some of the grand narratives that sit sometimes right the way across the Bible. And we're wanting to look at those as well and sort of examine those to see what they're saying. And uh, so that's what I'm going to try and do today. I'm going to look at one particular character, but I'm also going to try and look at uh, some bigger uh, narratives uh, over the Bible as well. Now, to do that... What I need to do is I need to go back to the beginning and I need just to remind you of where we have come from. Hello, are you with me? Yes, good. Good, good, good. So we remember at the beginning, we saw the creation story, didn't we? Do you remember, Ian, looking at the creation story? And we saw everything starting wonderfully. God said everything is good or very good. And he he made us and, and put us into place. And then uh, we saw, unfortunately, the fall, didn't we? Do you remember that? The fall coming and sin coming into the world and this, the introduction of sin making a massive difference to everything, spoiling, really, what God uh, had created. And then we see God saying, well, look, there is a response, unfortunately, to sin that a righteous God has to, uh, has to do, and that is to judge sin and we see God judging Adam and Eve and we see one of the things that God does is he curses the ground and we'll see that that totally transforms man's relationship with the earth. Instead of um, food coming quickly and easily there seems to have been a harmony before this time suddenly now by the sweat of our brow we have to get these fields to function so that the crops will come up. And uh, so that's what we see. Then we see, unfortunately, we saw the first murder. Do you remember the preaching on that, on Cain and Abel? We see Abel murdered, the tragedy of it and the implications of that for Cain. And then, of course, because sin is now in the world, we see sin having an effect. And we see mankind spiraling really now down into depravity. And... um, We even get to the point where we see God regretting that he had made man. Do you remember that? That's a a sobering scripture to read, that God would say, I regret that I have made man. Wow, what a a thing. And he said, I regret it because every thought and inclination of mankind is evil. And then, of course, uh, we see God having to bring more righteous judgment into the earth. As, as the descendants of uh, Adam have uh, sp- uh, increased, and we see the, this depths of depravity, and God says, right, I must step in at this point, and he brings righteous judgment in. And we see, with the exception of Noah and uh, the animals in the ark, all of uh, life, all living creatures are struck down. It's horrendous. This is an awful thing that's just happened yet God has said this is the right judgment I must bring on the earth extraordinary but God is merciful and we see at this point a new community being formed out of Noah don't we 
and we see Noah and his family, and they begin to repopulate the earth. And we see the command of God coming over Noah. To, and, and he says to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just as God had spoken over Adam, if you remember that. That's what God had said over Adam. The same command is now coming over Noah. Oh, wow. It's like God is starting all again. It's like humanity 2.0. Here we go again. Let's have another go at this. Is kind of the, the feeling we've got. But unfortunately... We see, even though God has started us again, as it were, we see humanity going pear-shaped all over again. As Noah's descendants now become, uh, uh, multi- they multiply and increase and, fill the, and begin to fill parts of the earth, we, we see sin coming in. And uh, I thought Andre was so helpful. Andre, you were so helpful in your preaching about the Tower of Babel. Wasn't it good? Do you remember that? Just so helpfully explaining how the Tower of Babel was showing humanity's uh, descent really again into sinfulness. And um, we saw that how mankind now was in opposition to God. Instead of filling the earth as they had been commanded to do, they were saying, no, let's stay here and build a tower and make a great name for ourselves. God had said, go. They were saying, no, we're going to stay. And by doing that, we'll make a great name for ourselves. And actually, if you think about that, this is very similar to what happened to Adam and Eve. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They said, if we defy God by taking this apple, we will make ourselves greater. We will have the knowledge of good and evil. Do you remember? That's what they said. And here, we are precisely the same sort of thing happening. Here is a group of people saying, if we defy God's command to spread out and just stay here, we will make a great name for ourselves. And we kind of think, as you're reading your way through the scriptures, we get to this point and we think, oh no. We're kind of back to where we started. Despite all that's happened, we're right back to this place. And um, I guess because of this, we are also thinking, well, if God has punished sin, has, has judged sin in the way that he has in the past, and humanity is at this point coming down again, surely we expect God to step in with another major judgment. And as you're reading your way through the scripture, I don't know what you were like when you, as a kid when you watched Doctor Who. Did you hide behind the sofa? Yeah, most of you did, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think I was in that state. I'm kind of hiding behind the sofa now because of what I'm reading in the scripture. I'm I'm thinking, oh, what's coming? What's coming? A judgment car crash is coming because that's what God has done in the past. That's what's going to come now. So I'm shivering and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to come. It's going to come. And then I don't hear anything. And eventually you get a bit of courage, don't you? You come up from behind the sofa and you have a look around. What's going on out there? I was expecting a car crash. And there isn't a car crash. Well, that's surprising. I was sort of expecting a car crash. But God says, no, I am not going to judge the earth again in this way. And look what he says. This is what he said over Noah. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, because... Noah is offering a sacrifice. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground. That's what God did with Adam. I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart 
is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done that's under Noah. And listen to what he says now. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's very significant. That's really significant. God has said, I am going to deal with the sin of mankind. The way I judge it, I am going to change the way I've done it from the past. I used to do it like this. I have poured out a curse on the ground. I have poured out the waters to flood man. And and, and can you see what God has done? He has used the earth there to bring judgment on man. Do you see that? He's used the ground, he's used the waters. But now he's saying, while the earth remains, seed time harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day, night shall not cease. In other words, he's saying there's going to be a continuity about the earth that you would expect. God has just said, I'm going to do things very differently from the way I have been doing them up until now. The time of Noah is a very significant moment in the history of the earth because of what God has just said now. So we get to that point where we think, well, hang on a minute. God has just said that man is still sinful. So the problem of sin is still there. But he's, but he's not going to judge it like he has in the past. So question now, if you're a good Bible scholar, you'll be getting to this point and you'll be saying, so how is God going to judge sin then? How is he going to do it? Now, at this point in history, in Genesis, we don't really know. But I think we get one or two hints. We get one or two hints. Now, it's really interesting that God does something at this stage. And it's the kind of thing, when it happens, you should stop and ask, why is he doing this? And one of the things that God does at this time, after the flood, is he permits man to start eating meat. So in other words, before the flood, we were all vegetarians, whether you liked it or not. And I don't. But after the flood, we were permitted to eat meat. Now question, why? And why now? It's making you hungry, isn't it? Why now? It's a good question to ask when you read your Bible, to ask the question, why? Why did God do that now? Well, I'm sure there are a number of reasons. But I wonder if we aren't just getting a little hint towards God's new system of handling the the sin of mankind. Because we're going to know in just a, a short while or so after this, God is going to introduce the sacrificial system, isn't he, into Israel? And we know that's what that's about, don't we? We know that animals will be taken and they will be killed. And it says their blood, their sacrifice, will, for a, in a temporary way, cover the sin of mankind. Yeah, you with me? And of course we know also that system is in itself pointing the way to the answer. It's pointing to the cross. One day Jesus will come and he will be the Lamb of God. And he will be sacrificed and his blood will be shed. And then the problem of sin will be dealt with once and for all. Totally. Hallelujah. 
So I am intrigued that God introduces this. I think he's just saying, hey, I've got this new system for dealing with sin. I haven't told you what it is, but let me just give you a few hints as to what it might be. So I think it's very intriguing, for me anyway. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me and saying, what are you talking about? I think that's a really interesting hint to what's coming. Now, considering where we have just been and what we just looked at, it's also very interesting that God introduces another really significant biblical character at this point in the scriptures, at this juncture. And we're just about to be introduced to, I think he's a, I think we can say a biblical giant. Uh, this guy is uh, hugely significant to this day, actually, in all three of the monotheistic religions, the world's largest religions. He's highly honored by them all. And uh, even though we have had a beginning, we all started with Adam, and we even had a sort of second beginning with Noah, the Jews of Jesus' day, and I think still to this day, don't regard those guys as their father, the beginning. They regard this man I'm about to talk about today as their father. As far as they're concerned, this is the true start for them. And of course, I'm speaking about Abraham, absolutely. Or Abram, as, or Abram, as he is at the beginning. And uh, he is an interesting, interesting guy. And fascinating that he comes at this stage, considering our, uh, our history and how we've been viewing and seeing uh, the judgment of sin. Uh, and he's interesting because more than anyone else, this guy, Abraham, points to Jesus. He is what the theologians call a type of Christ or a forerunner of Christ or a shadow of Christ. In other words, what he does is he mirrors certain attributes of Jesus. And boy, Abraham does this in spades. He does this far more than any of the other characters that we've uh, come across so far. And so, so Abram is going to give us an idea of what Jesus is going to be like. What the, this new answer that God has for the problem of man's sin and how he is going to handle judging sin is coming uh, at what he's going to look like. So let's have a look at Abram or Abraham. Now what do we see in him? Why is Abraham a type of Christ? Why does he reflect Jesus? Well, here's some ideas. When we look at the life of Abraham, we see a man who models real, intimate relationship with God. The scriptures tell us that he knows God personally. He hears his voice. And there are times when the the Bible says he appears to Abraham. So he sees him. And we see in Jesus, don't we? We see Jesus hearing the voice of God. We see Jesus saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. Do you remember that? So we we, we see that about Abram. We see this. Abram is a man who walks in obedience to God. When uh, We're going to look at the call of Abraham in a minute. And when God calls Abraham, he says, I want you to leave your... uh, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your community. I want you to leave your family and I want you to come and and come to a land that I will show you. And we see Abraham obeying and going. And of course, we see Jesus obeying the Father, don't we, in the the garden. 
He says, I don't want this cross, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We see an obedience uh, about him. We see a man who believes and holds fast to the word of God. God is going to speak to Abraham, and he's going to say this, um, uh, you're going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Oh, and by the way, I know you're, you are very elderly, and you, the Bible describes his body as as good as dead in terms of producing. And that's not a great description, is it? You wouldn't want that in your CV. But you're, in terms of you know, rearing children, he is as good as dead, yet he believes that God is going to cause supernaturally both he and his wife Sarah uh, to have a child. And of course, we see Jesus don't we? Loving and adhering to the word of God. Who can think of an example of when Jesus adheres to the word of God? What's the best one you can think of? Temptation. Yeah, very good. So when he's being tempted, Jesus draws on the scriptures, doesn't he? And says, the scripture says. So we see Jesus closely adhering to the word of God. As I mentioned, he, he Abraham trusts God for the miraculous, doesn't he, in this child who it's impossible for him to have. Yet we see in the life of Jesus signs, wonders, miracles, healings happening all the time. And of course, most importantly, we see in Abraham a man of faith. There's this remarkable time, which I think is going to be looked at next week, when God says, look up at the stars and count them if you can. So will, that's how many offspring you're going to have. And the Bible says, and Abraham believed the Lord. He believed him. This seemingly impossible thing. And most incredibly then, what's God's response to that? He says, and he credited it to Abraham as righteousness. We get this extraordinary link between this idea that Abraham believes God... And then righteousness is given to him as a response. When that is exactly what we're going to see modeled in Jesus, isn't it? In our faith. When you came to Christ and you said, Lord, I believe. Uh, I receive you as Lord and Savior. What happened to you at that point was your sin was forgiven. And, the, and righteousness was, the theological word, is imputed to you. You became righteous in God's sight at that very moment. Extraordinary, yet this same thing is happening to Abraham all these years ago. Can you see why this man is so important, so fundamental, so, such an important type of Christ for us? Good, well, I mean, I can, and I hope you do too. And then lastly... We see that Abraham loves God. Oh, sorry about this. We seem to have slipped off the edge there. Abraham loves God, and he's willing even to sacrifice his own son. We see in Abraham the heart of the father here, don't we? So when eventually Abraham's son is born, this one son that he has, the only son who's on the scene anyway at the time, this son that's been longed for, wanted, God says to him, Go and sacrifice him. And with a heavy heart, we know that Abraham goes to Mount Moriah, doesn't he? And he lifts the knife in order to plunge it into Isaac, his son. And God says, stop. I've got a ram for you instead. And of course, we recognize in that that 
here is Abraham willing to give up his only son, his precious son. And who does that remind us of? That's the father. The father himself saying, I will give up my only son, Jesus, for your sake so that you can be forgiven. I mean, this, you could see why he's a type of Christ, can't you? With all of this. You just, it's, it's remarkable how this man, all those years ago, is so reflecting the very heart of God, what Jesus is going to be like, this new solution that God has to deal with the problem of sin. Okay, let's have a quick look then. I've got through this far faster than I thought you'd be pleased to know. This took me a long time in rehearsals. Okay, let's have a quick look then at the call of Abraham. So here, this is the, uh, Genesis 12, and this is the, the first bit where we're seriously introduced to this man, Abram. And this is what the word says. So now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took, his, uh, took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Right, let me ask you a question here. What is your reaction to that scripture? Particularly the, the top block, the first three verses. Any sort of reaction? No. Okay, right. Well, uh, let me tell you how I felt when I was reading this. I was absolutely amazed at it. I was stunned at these first three verses. Let's just remember where we were, okay? So at this point in Scripture, we have been knee-deep in man's sin and God's judgment. Fierce, awesome judgments being poured over mankind. Yes? Yes? Oh, come on. Yes. Yes. Yes, in Adam and in uh, Abram. Uh, sorry, and in Noah. So that's where we've been. And we've kind of been hiding behind the sofa at this point, aren't we? Anticipating this awesome judgment, this next judgment that surely must be around the corner because that's how God has been doing. We're thinking, oh, what's coming? What's coming? And there we are, holding, gripping. Our knuckles are white now as we're gripping onto the sofa, anticipating. And then nothing comes, nothing comes, and we pull ourselves out of the edge of the sofa. And instead of this terrible car crash, we get this. And God says, oh, yeah, I'm going to pour out blessing over this guy. I'm going to pour out blessing. And five times he uses the word blessing. So he said, I'll bless you. And um, uh, you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you. And all the families of the earth should be blessed. That's a lot of blessing poured out over this guy and then just for good measure God throws in a couple of greats have you seen that I'm going to make you into a great nation and um, uh, I will make your name great as well now I've got to say that's not what I was expecting I was braced for a car crash and God has turned around and said I'm going to pour out blessing 
Can you see why I'm surprised? Oh, this is a different thing entirely. Totally uh, different thing. Now, I think the question we, of course, have to ask at this point is, why? Why does God pluck this guy, Abram, out of, as far as we're concerned, complete obscurity and say, oh, this guy here, yeah, pop him there. I'm going to pour blessing over him at a time when judgment should be coming. I, well, I think it's a good question to ask anyway, even if you don't. And a couple of answers I've got for you. The first thing is this. God loves to bless people. God loves people. He, he prefers mercy over judgment. We know that, don't we? He prefers mercy over judgment. God is good. This tells me something about the heart of God. This God that we've been worshipping today, it tells us something about him. You know, there are some people that say their view of God is that he is an angry ogre. Have you come across people who say that? Uh, who that and they, their view of God is that he sits in heaven like this, angry, looking down at humanity, thinking, well, they're all sinners, rotten sinners, and I shall smite them. And that's how they see God, this angry, judgmental being who's looking just to, 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 to harm humanity. And particularly, they say that about the Old Testament. Have you come across that? Have you had that argument with people? Yeah, well, people say, oh, God's very angry in the Old Testament. Look at this. This is the mercy of God being poured out, the grace of God being poured out over this guy. God is fundamentally a blesser of people. Just in case we've got the wrong idea so far from Scripture, because God has been pouring out judgment, suddenly we see God's heart on display. So uh, that's the first thing. Second thing is this. God, as he says, is preparing a great nation. That's why he's blessing Abram. He's preparing a great nation. He has got Israel in mind. His people Israel. Why has he got Israel in mind? Well, who's going to come out of Israel? Jesus Christ is going to come out. The answer for the whole world. As he said, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Jesus is not going to return until every tribe, every nation, every tongue has had the opportunity to hear the gospel and to be saved. <clears throat> so uh, Jesus is, uh, God has already uh, got that in mind. And we're seeing here, aren't we, God's new way of dealing with the sin of mankind in Jesus is this. Instead of to pour righteous judgment and anger out on sinful man, God withholds his judgment. And he prepares his son. So that one day, his son, who is fully righteous, fully pure, he will pour out his wrath and his judgment on him. So that you and I don't get it, but he does. And if you think about it, Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one. So what's happening here is God is pouring out his own judgment effectively on himself. He is taking the hit. The theological word is propitiation. 
Jesus takes the hit for you and me. God, in his mercy, stopped the system of judgment from the past. That was righteous and good. My personal conviction is, had he carried on with that, we would not be here today. Humanity would have been judged again and again because of its sin. So let's be clear again about the mercy of God. God, in his mercy, has not judged us. He judged his son. And it means that when you believed in him, when you received Christ, it means you now stand before God as a righteous individual. His judgment has already been dealt with over you. It has already been dealt with. So you can see that the grand theme then we have been looking at, that I believe that the scriptures are talking about, is this issue of God's judgment of sin. Something we don't like to think about. It's not the most popular topic in the world, is it? But it is very clear, I think, from the early passages of uh, Genesis. However, we just need to say this as well. The danger with understanding the mercy of God and the kindness of God is we assume that God is somehow now indifferent towards man's sin. And that he's not bothered about it anymore. That is not true. We need to understand deeply in our body, in, in, in our minds, that there is going to be a day of judgment that will come. And if you remember the, the um, uh, parable that Jesus talked about, about the wheat and the tares. And he said, the way it's going to work from now on is the wheat and the tares will grow up together. And it's only at the end of time they will be harvested and we will burn the weeds and use the wheat. So there is a day coming when judgment will be poured out. And I just want to say to you, if you are here today and you are not a believer, I hope I've presented the reality of Scripture to you so that you understand judgment is a reality. That your life, your sin matters before God. But God wonderfully makes an opportunity for you to say, you can have your sins forgiven. Let's just pray for a minute. Lord, I thank you for your great mercy to us. Uh, Father, I thank you that you have been kind beyond words to us. Thank you for Jesus. Uh, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you would like to, if you've never said yes to him, uh, can I just ask everyone just to close their eyes? If you'd like to receive him and know what it is to be forgiven for your sin, can I just ask you to put your hand up? If you've never done it before. Okay, well, um, if you would like to do that at some stage, please come and find me afterwards. The very last thought I've got about this scripture as I've been reading it, as I've been pondering it, is the first line. And it's where, uh, obviously, here the Lord's saying to Abram, go from your country and your kin kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. As I was preparing this, it struck me that there are a number of you that have done this. You have left a country. You have left a community. You have probably left family behind. 
and you have gone to another nation and you find yourself here. And I just felt God just wanted to speak particularly to you. And he wants to reassure you of this. I've got blessing for you. I've got blessing. Just like God had blessing for Abram and for Abraham. I feel God would say, particularly on you, I've got blessing for you. And the other thing I just felt I wanted to encourage you with this is don't hold back. Don't feel, well, I'm in, a, I'm in another nation and now I'll just sort of, you know, work on getting my mortgage sorted out and getting the family sorted out. Feel God says this, I've called you for purpose. And actually, what you see in Abraham is that God blesses him so that he can be a blessing to others. And I believe that's the call on you. If you are here from overseas, God has blessed you and will continue to bless you. But he calls you to be a blessing. And he wants you to be sure in this idea he's on you, he's with you, he's for you. God has brought many people to this nation because this nation needs it right now. The church of God needs you. God in his mercy has drawn you. I want you to be wholehearted. Serve the Lord. Don't get caught up in what is a very secular society. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Know that there's blessing for you. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's just pray and we draw things to a close. Father, I thank you that you are good. Father, I thank you for your amazing kindness to us. Thank you for sending Jesus to take the hit on our behalf. And Father, I thank you that you are a blesser of people. And I want to ask you for a fresh blessing, please, particularly on folk who've come, have left, sometimes at cost, left nations and family behind. Father, will you release blessing today over them in Jesus' name? Yeah, in your mighty name, amen.